You're listening to a DM podcast. G'day and welcome back to Behind the Podcast with Jules and Stocks. Today, Stocks and I went behind the podcast with Nick Wazaliv, content producer and host of a number of podcasts, including the in-house potty for Booktopia and the Dropkick Rugby Podcast. Stocks, what do you think? It's interesting, right? He's a storyteller, written books, done a podcast about writing a book, done a rugby podcast opportunely and then landed in a gig where well landed in a gig but he's ended up in a gig where it looks like he's going to be able to forge an interesting podcast facility and production for one of the bigger brands in Australia that really has an opportunity to do something in the podcasting space so exciting absolutely I mean he's really got some good views about the importance of the platform and and the medium so hey look why don't we get straight into it well one thing one thing did you see that um, LeBron James tweeted that he might be coming up with his own podcast. So the media empire of LeBron, LeBron James is expanding right in front of us. Despite everything else going on in the basketball world that we should be focusing on, he's drawing the attention towards himself. Yeah, well, I think the number one sports podcast in the world right now is the Draymond Green podcast. And I don't know if LeBron would be too happy about that. So and he's well, getting him back for the ball kick. Maybe ball kick 2.0. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, let's go over to Nick and he can tell us about the drop kick and other podcasts that he's working on. Nick, kick us off, mate. Hello. Well, hi. I'm Nick Wasiliev. I spend my days making content, filming podcasts, uh, recording podcasts, rather, filming videos. Um, and I work, you know, predominantly at Booktopia, but I also spend my time uh, covering rugby ju- uh, and rugby journalism, uh, working, running a podcast for Green and Gold Rugby. Um, and I also am an author, additionally, uh, and have done a podcast on that too. So hopefully so, know a little bit. Storyteller from way back then. Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't exactly know where the the interest started. I think my. But I was lucky that I grew up in a family of journalists, um, and my mother, she's a you know a brilliant writer, an excellent poet as well. My dad, uh, he's a, a journalist for the Fin Review. He's been there for 50, 50 60 years. Um, so yeah, I just I was always surrounded by people who knew what to do with words, um, so that which just probably rubbed off. Permeates into your being, yeah. <laughs> Look, it took even even after however long I've been doing it, you still don't fully feel like you get it. You still get that imposter syndrome um, every so often. But yeah, it's it's a very fun job. It's a very fun space to be in. So there's a couple of books in your background. There are any of these your ones? No, no, my book. These a lot of these are books that we do here at Booktopia. So a couple of them are. Uh, done by, we, we have a publishing arm here called Brio Books. Um, and these guys basically spend their days, uh, you know, putting fantastic books out. They've done a lot of really great books. They have, they've done some stuff with Dr. Carl and, and they've done a couple of other books with, uh, with uh, Adam Spencer. And they recently had uh, one of their books make the, the short list for the, the Miles Franklin Award um, last year, which is Daniel David's, David Wood's At the Edge of the Solid World, um, which was their which made it last year. But yeah, that's a lot of them. My book is a, is a different book. It's, uh, it's called When Men Cry, which I also did, uh, did through them. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the book and the process and the podcast, I guess? Yeah, that book, uh, it took about five years to, to write. Um, the story basically is five blokes start on a night out on the town. They're going out for some beers, having a bit of fun, kind of early 2020 Sydney, time we're in now. But as the night goes on, it becomes clear that something is really off with one of the guys in this group of four friends. And essentially the story is how the other three guys in this group of mates uh, struggle to ask the question, 
how are you? Are you okay? So it's really a story about how men talk to each other and the fact that they often struggle to communicate the feelings they express. Um, it, yeah, it was a, it kind of came together while I was at university because I, I was, I grew up in the country. Um, and so kind of went to college at university and all the people that I lived with would often suffer from these issues, but they just couldn't express themselves. They really, especially blokes, they were terrible at kind of explaining how they felt, where they, where they kind of, uh, you know, express them, how to express themselves when they knew that they weren't feeling okay. And so this, this story just kind of emerged over, you know, four or five years. Um, once, you know, I finally committed it to paper and got it out, um, I was able to land, you know, the job that I currently have now at Booktopia. They kind of discovered that here I was out there doing this stuff. I'd done a few other different podcasts and I was able to, to land up where I ended now. Um, and it was such a unique experience learning about the publishing space from that, uh, that I did my own podcast uh, last year, which kind of documented my entire, like the process that I had gone through. Because so many people have a book in them. It's such a, a, a I feel like it's such a cliche to say, but every person has got a fascinating story and a fascinating book within them. And from that, I think you can basically saying, well, this is, if you actually really are serious about committing it to the page, these are the things that are going to, that you're going to have to do, uh, which was essentially the, the purpose of that podcast I did last year. And what's the name of that podcast? It's called um, A Little Idea. It's kind of a mini series uh, of, of, of about five or six episodes where I document the entire process from writing uh, through to publication or the actual process of finding a publishing deal specifically, uh, the value of editing, the value of having a really good editor who kind of, you know, sits down and essentially is your first reader of the book. Um, actually, the process of design and then committing the book to print and then finally the process of uh, advertising, getting it out there in the world, getting it into bookstores. Um, and in each of those episodes, I sit down with, you know, someone in, in the industry who I've been very lucky to, to meet in the last, you know, two years of working in it. Um, yeah, it's a, it was a really fun podcast to put together and the, the people who were very gracious with their time uh, to talk about, you know, the industry that we all love so much in, in books and publishing. When you came over to Booktopia, did you, or like, were you having these discussions about, you know, having a podcast as a part of this uh, role of yours? No, no, it kind of emerged out of nowhere, really. Because when I, when I originally put my book out, you, you're essentially doing everything because the, when I originally published When Men Cry, it was kind of, you know, self-published. It was, get, I was like, I didn't have any real contacts in the industry. Um, and, you know, I was very lucky to work with a, with a team called Lime Books who are based in Chatswood, who are an independent, you know, publishing house who helped me get that book out. But once, essentially in terms of marketing and getting it out there, I was essentially on my own. So it was a, a case of just learning, well, I need to put content out there to, to get people interested in this book. And one of the things that, for, that I first came up with was, well, let's do a podcast because people were more interested about, were very interested whenever I was talking about the book. They were interested about, well, how did you actually get published like you finish a manuscript and but what next and most people don't who are interested in it just they they are completely lost they don't know who to approach what the process is so it's instead of kind of you know feeling lost in the dark uh my aim with this little podcast was essentially to kind of light the path a little bit for them to give them a sense or an expectation of well if you are going to write a book and this is something that you're going to do um this is what the process looks like if you are up for it. That's really interesting because I guess there's never been lower barriers to self-publishing. 
I mean, I've had a few members mm. of my family sort of in the 70-year-old range going, oh, I'm going to write memoirs and just or family history or something like that, and they're able to do it. But then it just gets circulated to a couple members of the family and that's that. <laughs> so the barriers are lower. So something like your podcast sounds incredibly useful. Yeah, I think it also, for a lot of people, the, the key message that kind of came out of that podcast, and this was something that was invaluable for me, like I learnt from it, was so many of the people said, well, if you're going to do this, you need to recognise exactly why you are getting into, you want to publish this book. If you want to get, you know, if you want to get a publishing deal and you want to become a, a, a multi-million uh, you know, multi-million copy-selling author, then you have to be prepared to to work your ass off for it. Um, if you are someone who is uh, who just wants to publish this book and say that you did it, not with any goals or expectations, um, then that then always keep that in mind when you are putting that book out there. And then you know there there are people who publish books just to share with their family. Um, it's always the particular goal that you have in mind is, is always usually dictates who you should go for and which publishing groups you should go for uh, when putting your book together. Yeah, it's funny. Everyone, everyone has a good book in them. I think everyone's got a, a podcast in them now as well. Seems to be the addition to that <laughs> adage. <laughs> so can we go back to your um, rugby podcast then? So Green and Gold Rugby, how did that kick off? This was actually the start of my whole podcasting journey, actually, Green and Gold Rugby. So when I was at university in, you know, 2014, uh, 2013, 2014, I was just kind of going, I'm just going to throw myself out there uh, and just see, just try 100 million things and see uh, and see where, where I land and see what, what, interest, what things, you know, get, grab my interest. And the first thing I did was actually go and work at 2SER. Uh, the community radio station. They have a, um, a studio out at Macquarie University. Um, and so I worked on their, as a producer on their daily program, on their Tuesday program for about a year. <clears throat> and I learned a lot of stuff about, you know, production, the radio process, um, the actual uh, ways you actually create a show um, and found it actually just a huge amount of fun just putting stuff together. Um, and from that, I, you know, I had an interest in rugby, a passing interest at the time. And then... I managed to land, you know, a writing gig at, at Green and Gold Rugby. Just, again, just trying things out. And then they found out that, you know, I'd done some stuff with, with radio. And they, at the time, had a, a podcast, just the Green and Gold Rugby show, which was the three original founders of the whole website. And they said, would you like to be our producer? You know, and so I said, absolutely. And I, you know, I produced about, you know, 100 of their shows um, over the over the course of the next few years until they uh, eventually decided to to call it a day. Um, but <clears throat> from that, we uh, I, I started my own show on that channel, which is the the dropped kickoff, which started a few years ago as a kind of a as a chat show, a bit of a tongue in cheek sort of chat show. Um, and that's now kind of emerged as you know into one of the main shows that goes out on the channel where we talk rugby, you know, usually on a fortnightly basis uh, with. Uh, other guys who have since gone on to actually get full-time jobs within the, you know, the rugby journalism space. Uh, so it's, yeah. And did you fall for, what do they say, the game they play in heaven? Because you also ended up doing some freelance journalistic work at rugby.com.au. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's you. You always. You. It, it's amazing where all the spaces you know take you and 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 everything around that. It, but fortunately, it, it's. Within that space, it's 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 a particular audience that you're marketing to. A lot of, uh, you know, rugby fans are very rusted on the people who, 
it's it's you know you, often within within podcasting spaces you have to really identify you know you have to really kind of make sure you nail who your audience is and who you're looking for with rugby fans and rugby supporters the majority of people have either played rugby or played the game and are personally familiar with it or they know someone who has played the game and is personally familiar with it so it's once you kind of grab that audience it's it, they just kind of gravitate towards you quite a lot. It's the, there's just a real identification of, well, this is what, if this podcast is interested in this thing that I'm very passionate about, they really kind of are, are very rusted on. They, they're very, you, you basically, they're rusted on. They're, they're, they're set. Um, and I was very lucky that, you know, the Green and Gold Rugby audience was already very much established before, but way before I showed up. Um, and, you know, have since been, have, have since enjoyed listening to our podcast when we started. I was going to say, because rugby sort of has a bit of a, well, famous lack of marketing, I suppose, <laughs> <laughs> of the actual Wallabies team and, and, you know, everything else that goes around it. Did you find it, you're probably more successful at marketing your podcast than they are of the actual game itself? You know, it's, we always joke about how, because um, one of, our, one of my, the guys who runs the podcast, you know, works there and he says he still can't find their marketing pigeon, uh, the pigeon who... <laughs> Who, who looks at it but yeah it kind of <sighs> rugby is in a very interesting space in terms of its marketing and I think it's starting to kind of start to address it a little bit in the past I think it's it it, it it's terms of how it's viewed the sport has often impacted its marketing um, and I think it's realizing now that if it wants to kind of you know stay competitive in a very, very uh, strong, you know, very competitive uh, sporting landscape. It has to really do something different and move with the times a little bit. Um, the good thing is, is that they're leaning into things like podcasts and they're leaning into stuff like that. And a good thing that, you know, they agreed with was when, you know, when we started actually doing work for them was absolutely you can keep doing your podcast. You can absolutely keep doing that. You still have that space. Um, uh, you know, to, to be able to talk about the game because at the end of the day, it's a, a fan engagement thing and that's what they want because if fans are interested in the game and the discussion is happening, then all the better. And additionally, so many great podcasts like that have emerged and grown uh, in the last couple of years too as the whole podcast space in general has expanded. So to, you know, to with that space, uh, the b rugby, I think, is starting to kind of start to spread out and express itself in in new ways so hopefully that the marketing the marketing pigeon is uh, will start to fly once again <laughs> we may have a pigeon looking mask just outside the studio actually in our office which we've used for a couple things do you think that stan's taking over the broadcast rights has been beneficial for rugby i think so as much as, you know, rugby was kind of, at the time when it first signed to Fox many years ago, looking at rugby history, um, the, I think at the time it was incredibly beneficial for the sport and the code, um, especially because the teams were performing. Um, but the major, if you look at where audiences are going these days, um, people are less inclined to, to pay for the stuff that that Fox offers. People are going to streaming services like your Netflixes and, you know, your binges and your Disney pluses and your stands. So it, it's a natural progression for, for sport to make that transition um, over to streaming services in any capacity. I mean, even you even have to look at, uh, you know, you go to the States, a lot of those, you know, large sporting codes like the NFL and the NBA, they, they own the content from start to finish. Mm. Um, they have whole streaming platforms where people can, 
can watch that. So to go in that streaming direction, I think is is the natural progression for sport. And I think it it that it, that it's been reflected in the fact that that rugby has had I think had increased interest since signing since since going with Stan. Um, the last year, the I think the grand final of the Super Rugby AU competition, which was was you know on Stan, but also you know on free to air, it, it grabs an audience of nearly half a million. Mm. Which is which shows that there is an interest there when you can rejuvenate fans, but also if you move and go where the audience is going. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, the accessibility seems to improve. There's nothing I like more than the ability to also watch a mini version of any sporting game, whether oh, it's yeah. Formula One through to rugby, so you can just consume more when you're on the run. And I think just cleaning out the, the voices as well and coming in with a fresh set of voices. A guy like Sean Maloney we had on our rugby podcast a few times. But also then for Stan to be flexible enough to give him his own podcast as well. Yeah. Um, really positive stuff, I think, for A, podcasting and B, I guess, for rugby. We, yeah, we've had Sean on our show a few times. He's great. He just His positivity and approach to the game and optimism towards, uh, you know, not just... Um, the, the game and the, and the talent coming through, um, but the fact that he is at the forefront of wanting to present rugby in a new way, um, I think is fantastic. Um, and the fact that there are more voices coming through and there's more discussion about it. In the past, you know, I had once had a, a person come up to me and say, I think rugby's dying in this country. Um, and that was many years ago, but the truth is that there are so many people who care about this game and who are now motivated to, to make and enact positive change um, that I don't think that that's going to happen. Mm. I believe that, that rugby's stronger than that. It's stronger than that. I think at the grassroots, it's always going to be able to... That's what's going to mean it's always going to stand. The foundation's there. It's interesting. So, Sean mm. Maloney, actually, this is a little confession. Um, I think back 2011, I only was reminded of this the other day. The very first podcast I dabbled in was a podcast with Sean Maloney, uh, a, a mate of his, Andrew Harvey, who's a sort of manly... Rugby, yeah. Manly Marlins legend and, yeah. and another guy and it was basically a, a sports slash betting podcast um, <laughs> it was really good gear but uh, it was just too early and um, we only <laughs> did it three or four times never actually pushed it out to the universe there's still time stuff. there's still time well they reminded me they go oh is this were we did you think we were going to be Batuta before Batuta I said mate I don't have that power and you weren't that good um, but yeah it was funny I'd completely forgotten about that how do you yeah. find the, uh, the the podcasting space, you know, working from Booktopia then to rugby and the other ones that you're involved in? What, what's the kind of, like, is there a real difference in, in purpose that you see that medium uh, supporting each of those entities? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the angle that you take with the with Booktopia, because we, we've recently rebranded the Booktopia podcast uh, to Tell Me What to Read, which is now kind of an entertainment sub-brand, essentially, of, of Booktopia. Um, the, the audience there uh, is, in the past has been, I think, you know, this, the aim that we're trying to achieve is really kind of broaden that entertainment side of things um, with Booktopia. Uh, there is, I think that there are a lot of people who, you know, whether they're casual readers or hard rusted on readers, there is a book out there that is, that exists for everybody. Um, and if people say to me, oh, I, I don't, I just don't read books or I don't like books. My thought is, well, you haven't found the right one yet because there, there will come a point in your life where you will come across a book that you cannot put down, that you cannot stop reading. Um, it's happened to me so many times. I've loved every minute, every time it has happened. Um, 
And the lean, the trick is, is that at the end of the day, for example, books are entertainment. So with our podcast, we aim to lean into that a bit more and kind of have, you know, more recognisable names coming on, telling us about their reading habits, the books that they're enjoying, um, as well as established authors who come on and talk about, you know, they'll, they'll talk about their books, but they'll also talk about books that, that maybe people will go, well, hey, maybe I should go check that out. So the goal with that you know, it, always kind of keeping in mind of the audience is the message that I've is the is the, the the learnings that I've always picked up whenever I have you know done a podcast because dropped kickoff podcast uh, is very different to how you do uh, tell me what to read podcast at Booktopia. It's always just keeping the audience and who's listening on the other end uh, in mind. It's it's funny. So many of the the podcasts that are out there are about discovery of you know another media type bit like books or TV or movies or whatever. It's helping people navigate through just the plethora of, of content that's out there to be able to mm. decide what then to watch or listen to or read. But then you've also got the promotion of your own podcast to get that out there in front of people from the many, 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 many millions of podcasts that are available for people. What do you do to, to help promote uh, the different shows that you have? I mean, you, you obviously have you know something like Booktopia where I'm imagining there's millions of people visiting the site each day and, and ADM lists and yeah that's right so what are you able to mm. utilize to kind of really get your message out there and then help people get into that system of discovery this is a space that's evolving hugely for us even as we speak right now so even as I you know I don't necessarily have all the answers uh, as I you know as I'm speaking to you right now but good things that we do is you know f- first of all kind of the idea originally, first of all, around our rebrand. Um, a lot of people, you know, at Booktopia, they when they think of Booktopia, they think of the the, the key retail brand anywhere they can buy any book there at all. Um, actually, at our offices, we have people who are just they're obsessed with books. They love them. It's a it's a space filled with people who just love books, you know, Australian books, uh, international books, whatever. Um, and they don't know that, and a lot of people don't know that first that we have, you know, for example, a blog um, where we publish articles every single day and they, and they don't know that we have a podcast where we talk with, you know, people who may be interested, you know, they, they talk with, with the authors that they're interested in. So, you know, things for us are kind of trying to leverage off that, uh, recognizing, using, utilizing that retail audience and, and trying to reframe the how people view Booktopia the brand is not just the retail brand, but also that there is an enter- a key entertainment goal in mind. That it's it's not just the fact that we are a bookseller. Um, we have people who love books and will talk about them all the time. Um, and so things like first of all, with our social media, we we've done we've recently done a rebrand of ourselves on Twitter. We have a Facebook group um, leaning into that audience. Uh, and in addition, uh, but just kind of making that entertainment side stand out That's a bit more is the key goals that we're trying to take now. I mean, obviously, everything that you're doing is all, is all about discovery, as we've sort of touched on. One of the key things that we like to ask our, our guests is, can they recommend any podcasts for our audience to listen to? So, you know, obviously, you're spending a lot of time in the book world, but do you have a little bit of podcasting time yourself where you can just kick the heels up and... Swirl a glass of wine. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I do like to listen to a lot of, of book podcasts, but also kind of, you know, history 
podcasts as well. I, I, I'm all, if you were to ask me, like, similar to my, my literary taste, like, my, my reading taste, I like lots of literary, you know, kind of deep stuff. I kind of, you know, gravitate towards that stuff. So some of my, my podcast go-tos are, are very, you know, kind of, in that strange vein so for example whenever I you know like I want to kind of you know really get into a focused mood or a focus like look at stuff I for example uh, listen to uh, we have a, a podcaster called Danny V and she has a podcast called the words and nerds podcast where anyone can talk about any book anywhere it's it's such a fantastic you know it's she does this fantastic show it's a really great so they recently crossed you know 500 episodes recently so they so and they do fantastic work in terms of the literary space but even history ones like i i don't know why but i i, I got obsessed with the, the tv show chernobyl oh yeah years ago and they had a podcast that that came out and i often go even if i'm just I'm just looking for inspiration or looking for small things that I do. I go and look and listen to that podcast, not just because of the, you know, the subject matter, which I find really interesting, but just how did they actually put that together? What were the small, smart things that they did to make that podcast work as well as it does um, is another great one. Or even ones like Teacher's Pet, um, that, the, that podcast. That podcast has been everywhere. But it, it's been everywhere for a reason because it's just really well put together, really well examined, and it displays the information that has been compiled um, extremely well. It, it shows the versatility of the medium. So sometimes I, I'll listen to listen to podcasts, you know, for pleasure. Other times I'll listen for inspiration and just go, "How the hell did they do that?" and try and transplant that to to shows that I'm putting together. Chernobyl's a great shout because I've watched two episodes of the series, but I've listened to that entire podcast. So. <laughs> mm. <laughs> it's Mate, a great podcast. It really is. They, they did an extra episode as well. I think the demand, like they did an, like a, the one where they actually got the, the lead actor, um, Jared Harris, to, to talk about some of the processes and experiences that he had. And it's it just uh, as a companion piece to the show, I think it's... And the way that, that that is also just put together, how they often, you know, throw to the director or they throw to, you know, uh, the production designer and talk about the specific stuff, but also the distinction of where what was fiction for or what was made fiction for dramatic effect and then what was actual information. And then they contrast it with the the information that they actually couldn't put in because the truth was much worse, yeah. um, which I just, the thought of that just makes me go, oh my God, like you could have, you could have gone worse than you actually did. And that shows intense. <laughs> that shows so intense. <laughs> it seems like th there's quite a fascination in, in kind of craft around, you know, I love that, stuff. that you're watching, listening mm. to reading. Is there any advice you'd give to people who are looking to start out around podcasting and, and maybe how they can incorporate, you know, the craft into that or, or whatever kind of advice you'd like to give, really? The one thing I always say is just you just set up a microphone and just do it. The It seems like such a, um, a cliche. Um, the... But there's a quote from Neil Gaiman about writing where he says, this is how you do writing. You sit down and you type one word after the other until it is done. It is that easy and it is that hard. And I think with podcasting, it's kind of similar. When you, when you start out, I can still lis remember listening to the first podcast that I ever did when I was a host and I was umming and ahhing. I had no podcast voice. I was just a guy with a mic. Um, th and that is literally how everyone starts. Um, the simple truth is you just get out there and do it. What, um, as the more you do it, the better you'll get at it. It's it's simple as that. Well, 
I think 100%. we can definitely attest to that as well. Certainly in the early <laughs> stages, it's borderline unlistenable, and hopefully we've improved a little bit. I'm never going back to that. <laughs> yeah. We can bury those tapes, Docs. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's honestly one of the best things you can do. Just learning, just the more you do it and the more you practice at it, the better you get. And you'll and you'll start to see it when people you know react to a show that you do uh, or a piece of content that you put together, and you go, "Wow, I, that was me putting that together." Um, and the best thing is, is that you you know you never you you'll never fully reach a point where you're absolutely perfect. There's always room to improve. There's always things to improve on. Um, you know, and that. And that becomes exciting. It means that there's always that you are always focusing on making sure that next time you do your next show, um, there's there's stuff that there that you know that you can do to make it even better. Well, Nicholas, look, as a guest, you've been damn near perfect. So we thank you very much for coming on and talking with us today. It's uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. <laughs>